got you guys feeling spunky today. I like it. I like it. Hi, my name is uh, Pastor Joey. I'm one of the pastors here at the campus, and it's my honor and my pleasure to serve you today. And uh, we're going to be in the book of John. We're going to be in chapter four. And the reason why I'm just jumping right into it that way is we have a lot of verses to cover, but it will be a lot of fun, I hope. Um, I just want to, as you're turning there, kind of set the pace. We have the title of the sermon, Peeling Back the Layers of a Miracle. Peeling Back the Layers of a Miracle. And as you're turning there, I just want to let you know how miracles can have those kind of layers. I just want to let you know, Friday night, I was looking at the lawn. I've been putting down a lot of fertilizer, and I'm like, wow, it's doing really good. But now i got to cut it. So, you know, that's kind, of, that's kind of not so great. So I prayed to God. Yes, I did. I don't know if you had Saturday plans. Um, I ruined them. Um, I prayed. I said, Lord, if you could send anything to stop me from mowing this lawn, I'm just not feeling it today. And then a great rainstorm came. So don't tell me miracles don't happen. Um, But there was something that I missed that was inside of this miracle of me not having to mow the lawn because I was like, oh, I guess I just have to go sit on the couch and put my feet up. Um, I was sitting there and uh, Charlie, our, our youngest son, took a long nap and he got up. And he sat on my lap. Jackie brought him out from the nap and put him on my lap. And he w- I was like, what do you want to do, buddy? And he was like, noodles. And I was like, yeah, that sounds real good. Now, let me tell you the extra blessing. Some of you don't know this. I've been eating low carb, no carb. So uh, I was like, you know what? God's just pouring miracles, Lord. If you can make these carbs not count, well, I don't know what you're going to do, but I know you're going to do it. So I just dove headfirst into those noodles with him, and we just watched Disney uh, for the rest of the afternoon. And I will tell you this, if I was out mowing the lawn, I wouldn't be doing that. But it started with, you know, a raindrop that was an answered prayer. So I just wanted to bring that into you is that um, sometimes we can look at how God uh, maybe responds to us and think that that's what he's just doing. He's just reaching us at that surface level for that answered prayer. But there's actually more, and we want to give God that kind of space to, to, to move in and, and to make progress take place because God is God and we are not. And praise the Lord, that's the case because he can see things that we cannot. So I want to keep your Bibles. I'm going to put a, a verse on the screen uh, for you. And I want to point this out to you in John chapter 20. In my Bible, it has these little chapter headings. And I love uh, the chapter headings because in the Bible, they kind of go in reverse. They kind of tell you the purpose after they told you the whole story. And I'm like, why don't you just tell me the purpose in the beginning? But in John chapter 20, there's a, a title. It says the purpose of John's gospel. And as you know, we've been going through the scripture verse by verse all the way through the book of John. The purpose of John's gospel. Let's read together on the screen. It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So I want you to uh, understand that there is power and authority that rests on Jesus. We know that it's given to him by God. But I also want to remind you that even though you might be looking for answered prayer, and even though you might be in a crisis right now, God might bring that power and authority to prove to you that you need a good word from the God of life. And God is going to speak life into you. So without much further ado, we're going to go turn over to John chapter 4. We're going to be in verse 43. And just to recap just to recap, to connect what Pastor Dave was talking about last week to this week, John, um, John wrote down that Jesus spent two days with the Samaritans, right? Not one miracle recorded, and yet everybody was there giving their life to the Lord. 
So I want you to see what the God of life does. We're going to look at different people, people that need to see a miracle. Maybe that moves them into a relationship with the God of life. Maybe some people that don't need a miracle, that moves them into a relationship with the God of life. And then some people that demand a miracle and God will not supply it because it won't move their heart. So look at verse 43. So after two days, he left for Galilee. In verse 44, it says, And now Jesus himself had pointed out that the prophet has no honor in his country. And I just want to point out that this is written four times throughout four different, the four Gospels. And the reason why I want to bring that up to you is sometimes we could be in the presence of God or we could be near God. We could be too familiar with God and miss who he is. And that, that can be the case. You know, there, there's a lot of like the Samaritans were just, hey, we're just looking for a Messiah. And he showed up and they're like, this is him. This is him. But then look at the Pharisees. And we're going to talk a lot about Pharisees. They're in scripture. They're in the word. They're, they're living out their religion, you know, in the street and in the synagogue. And yet what are they doing? They're missing them. They're missing them because there's, a, there's too much familiarity. Jesus is coming back to his hometown right now. And everybody's like, oh, the hometown boy's back. But they don't see him quite as Jesus. They kind of see him this way. Look at verse 45. It says, when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. That sounds good, right? And they had seen that all that he had done in Jerusalem at Passover festival, for they had also been there. And verse 46 says, once more he visited Cana and Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And we're going to stop right there. So what they're excited about, they're excited about a magic man that's one of their own to come to town. What they're looking for is something sensational. What they really want to do is, Jesus, will you wow us? Will you wow us? I have a, I have a need or a hunger, a desire to see something supernatural. And Jesus is going to say, you need more than that. Look at the, what it comes up next. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick in Capernaum. And when this man had heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. And Jesus says, unless you people, anytime Jesus says that, right? And that's, that's intense, right? Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. So this, this man is in a crisis. Would you agree? If you have ever had children, your children being sick, that's a major deal. And he's at his wit's end. And I want to let you know, the words that are described here isn't just like this, this kid got sick one day and then they got really concerned. This kid has been sick for a long time. And now he's been sick for so long, they've actually lost a little bit of hope here, but they've also believed that he's on his way out. And so he, this dad is being kind of like, you know, shoved into the crowd, the crowd that wants to see something supernatural, magical happen. And Jesus's attitude towards this is kind of different because sometimes some of you, I know so I've been in some of your homes, you have really great paintings of Jesus. He's really happy. He's looking up. He's got a baby lamb or a kid on his lap. And you're like, that's the Jesus I know. This ain't this Jesus. I want you to look at uh, Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. It says, and this is how he would address the Pharisees about the same su subject. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And he answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he's talking about his death, burial, and resurrection there. But you can see what God is actually looking for is, I will not provide a miracle for you if it's not going to change your heart. The, what I need is not just for you to receive a miracle, I need a miraculously changed life. A life that is going to be worthy of heaven. And so what we're seeing is God himself is not against miracles. In fact, signs and wonders are something that showed up a lot in the Old Testament. We know that. Did Gideon not ask for a sign? 
Boom, got it, right? Uh, Moses looked for a sign, and he received it. Even Jonathan, on a military excursion, was like, Lord, before I go into this situation and fight the enemy, I'm really going to need a blessing from you. I need to know that I'm not going to go in there and die. And he received it. Even David received uh, a, a sign. But I want to let you know something. God is not confirming, against confirming signs. What he's against is him being a show for your entertainment. Because when you think about it, that won't help you if that's what it's going to be. And so if you are in a situation and you're wondering what God's plan is, why is maybe his delay in his answer, or maybe you're not understanding how he's answering or why he's answering it a certain way, you can, answer, you can ask yourself, what is it about my heart that needs to mature or change in this process? I'm going to give you like another case in point. We are in the book of Exodus, and we're walking with the Israelites all the way through, you know, their exodus from Egypt. And let me ask you this. How many times did they see miracles? Daily. Daily. Uh, manna. Boom. Pancake mix right outside your door. I'm starving, Jesus. Boom. Waffles right there. When they got tired of that, what did God send? Quail. So chicken and waffles. The Lord is on it. Does the Lord not provide, right? Uh, if you've ever spent any time in the Florida sun, a pillar of cloud during the day, is that not a blessing? Anytime the shade comes in? Or how about when you're cold at night, a pillar of fire? How about water coming out of a rock, being pressed out of a rock when you're thirsty? Or how, think of all the many, many miracles that took place at the Red Sea, right? It wasn't just walking through in the Red Sea. It's the enemy is vanquished. Or think about this, salvation from the poison of snakes, now, when you think about those Israelites that are going all through all those miracles, do you think of them as ones that are just stuck in praise and worship and thanks and gratitude? What's the prevailing attitude? Complaining. You guys, so you guys are paying attention on Wednesday. That's great. They're grumbling. And I want to let you know, grumbling is the language of unbelief. Grumbling is the language of unbelief. So just so you know, daily miracles did not change their heart. It obviously worked out for the glory of the Lord, but I want to let you know, crisis will reveal in you where you are at with the Lord. A crisis, when you are throttled into a place where you are questioning everything, you will come to certain answers, and that certain answer will be how you feel about your God. It's immediately ready and available how you feel about God. And so I will let you know something. Um, I'm going to give you a case in point, and I'm going to put not just Israel on blast. I'm going to make fun of myself here for a second. So some of you guys know if you've ever been to a prayer culture or prayer week, I've talked about Jackie and I praying about having a son, and uh, Lord provided. He said a good word to both of us. He said both to my wife and to myself, you will have a son. And I was like, this is amazing. This is incredible. And then we went to the OBGYN and we got the news that the numbers were so bad uh, from Jackie's health report that not only would we lose the baby, we we're probably going to have to plan on losing her. So not only do I get a promise, a good promise for God, for new life to come out, I actually am going to lose two. I'm not going to just lose the baby. I might lose my wife. And then, of course, what happens? That happens on a Friday. Monday was prayer culture. You're like, oh my goodness, Lord. I mean, your timing is just amazing. I see what you're doing now, but not then. I spent the week on my face in the carpet with my wife, just praying and praying to God. And God said this time and time again, am I not a man of my word? Am I not a man of my promise? Did I tell you you were going to have this boy? And the answer was always back to God, yes. Yes, Lord. And we had that baby boy. And his name is Joey Jr. And if you've ever seen him doing uh, cartwheels or running around this place, that's our little miracle baby. So every time I look at J uh, Joey Jr., my son, I see the answered prayers of God, but I see a miracle. 
That's what I see. It wasn't but two or three weeks later that after we had Joey and brought him home and I'm holding the miracle of God, I got a bill in the mail and it was more than we can afford. I'm gonna speak to the young single people in this room just for a second. When you get married, most of your money will go away. <laughs> when you have a child, you, all your money's gone. Say goodbye to it. You're just living. You're just living in the moment. That's how that works. And I will let you know, the bill was so large. I don't have to go into the mouth, but when I looked at it, I go, we don't have this. So I gently took my miracle baby that was an answered prayer from God, put him in Jackie's uh, arms in the morning, walked out to the, pa- uh, the patio and cried out to God. And when I'm, gonna, I'm not ashamed to say it now, guys. Um, as the provider of the home, I cried. It wailed. I went outside so my wife couldn't see me. And I prayed to God and I said, Lord, why would you do this? Why would you stick us in this situation? And the Lord goes, for this very moment, you don't believe. Did you not just come from holding a miracle baby? And I said, yes. And he goes, am I not a man of my word and my promise? Did I bring you this far for you to fail as a father to this child that I put in your responsibility to raise? I said, no, Lord. And he said, no, go back in there and call that bill collector. Well, I still didn't want to face my wife. My tears are streaming down my face. My cheeks are red. I can't let her see me like this. I'm supposed to be the rock of the house. So I called outside and I called the bill collector and they go, Mr. Everington, we've been waiting for you to call. We've been trying to reach you. And I said, what? And they're like, we we actually owe you money. (laughs) Now, in between two miracles was a whole lot of complaining. And yet the Lord did what he was supposed to do and what he wanted to do in his way, did he not? His power and authority still ruled and reigned and had nothing to do with how I felt, right? It's time for me as a father, it's time for you to start resting and relaxing in his power and authority and not see the way it's going and not offer him advice and not offer him wisdom on how to be God, right? So I just want you to look at this. The next verse is one of my favorite verses in the Bible because it's so amazing. Look at the desperation and the crisis that this father is. He's being lumped in with the other Pharisees But the royal official said in verse 49, sir, come down before my child dies. You know, the Lord said, I'm not giving any signs to anybody. And this dad is going, hey, you know what? I don't have any other options. I have you. I have you. Lord, please come be the savior. And look at verse 50. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. Now, I want to let you know, you can hear this because there's been kind of a harsh tone from Jesus before. This can almost seem dismissive, like, go away, your son will live. But I want to let you know, Jesus is doing two things. There's two different layers to this. One, he's denying the entertainment of the crowd. So go away. Go away so only you experience this miracle. They don't deserve it because there's about to be a revelation in your heart, and it's going to be revival of who you think I am. And that's the testing of this man's faith. But to the people in the crowd that just want to see some magic, you will not get a show because it will not benefit you. So Jesus is saying to this moment in in this way, will you follow me at my word? Will you follow me at my word? Putting you at the crossroads of faith and unbelief. And that's what a crisis does. It puts you in a position of, do I trust God even though I can't see it? I will go. Or I have complete unbelief and you are not who you say you are and you are not a man of your promise and I will go the way of unbelief. And both will be true of your heart, but it won't be true of God because his truth still remains. Um, I will let you know that this Bible verse was in my Devo that morning that I got the bill. Look at Isaiah 55, It's on the screen with me. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Can God do that? Has anyone here in this room ever said, let there be light and light just appeared? 
God can do that. He has that power and authority, and that's the verse I read that morning, and God challenged me with that. I want you to look at the next part of the verse that we're in right now. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. That's a step of faith. See, the first thing that this, uh, he doesn't know it, maturing Christian, is he heard, he listened, and then he walked it out. Didn't matter if he saw it. Didn't matter if he knew the formula or the science behind it. Do you know the science behind speaking life to a dying kid 16 miles away? No, because you're not supernatural, but your God does. Your God does, and it's time to believe him. Um, this is why the blessing is going to come to him in a different way, because you're going to see something very, very amazing. We're going to talk to you guys now about the theology, and if you could put it on the screen, the theology of lasagna. You guys are wondering, where is Joey going? I'm going to let you know. I'm going to change Italian cuisine for you forever. Um, so when you look at this, you can see uh, a lot of things going on. There's a lot of nice crusty cheese on the top. If you're a corner man like myself, you're hoping everybody pulls from the middle and leaves the corners for you because that's where the good stuff is. But really what you don't know is you don't know what's going on underneath the surface unless you got one of those clear you know, casserole dishes, but you really don't know what's going on down underneath because you can only see as far as the cheese and that's on the initial cut. And that's what this father is seeing right now. In the initial cut, he's only saying, please God, do what I ask. I'm in a crisis. I believe, I don't know how it's going to work out, but I just know you said go, I'm going to go. But God has more in plan. If you guys can put on that next picture, there's so much more. Did you guys know that in researching this, Jackie and I found that there is a hundred layer lasagna? I want to eat that and go to sleep for a week. I just, it sounds so amazing. But I want to let you know when you can cut into it, depending on who the chef is, you may or may not be in for a good time. But we have Jesus Christ. I want you to examine the lasagna that this, this father is going to experience in verse 51. Look at the layers. And while he was still on his way, his servants met him with the news. So they come out and meet him because they're excited that his boy was living. Amen. When he inquired as to what time his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Interesting question from the dad. What time? Isn't that interesting? You can already see a change in the dad. Please come with me. No, you won't go with me. Just go home and he'll be healed. I'll go. And then this is revolving in his mind. Think of how long that walk would have been home. Some people put it at nine hours. Nine hours is a long time to go, did I hear Jesus right? Is he really going to bless me? What if I fail? What if I didn't ask the right thing? Isn't there a lot of times where fear and imagination can creep in? And right now, this dad is thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. He's healed when? He's already thinking, where is this power and authority of God? He's questioning, not because he's questioning God, because he's excited and he's learning. And this dad is going, you know what? Compassion of God knows no bounds. But it's still challenging. Look at verse 53. It's trusting in this way. Then the father realized that this was the exact time in which Jesus had said to him, your son would live. So not only is the son alive, this man's faith in Jesus Christ is growing. Let's go deeper into this lasagna. Look at this part. So he and his whole household believed. So I want you to look at that word, so. Because Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ entered this man's story. Because this man believed Jesus Christ and this man heard the words of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ spoke words of life into his son, now into the father, and now into the household. 
And that day, every single person, even though they didn't meet Jesus, had an encounter with the heart of Jesus. Every single person in the middle of crisis had an encounter and what God felt and thought about them. And so these people that were previously thinking about a little boy who was physically dying, Jesus goes, I want to rescue an entire household of people from hell. And if I can do it through this crisis, I will. And all of these people, I will tell you, even though that was a very difficult time for them, on their way to heaven, they will all say, amen. And so I want you to see this. This is a miracle, mess, uh, miracle lesson learned for us. Miracles help us learn the heart of God. And we need to know the heart of God if we're going to enter into crisis and trust him because it looks like this. You know, the moment crisis hits, you can say this, man, God, this is a really stinky day. Have you ever said that? You may have used different words. This is a really stinky day. And I don't think you're here. That's what the non-believer says. That's what the, when I say non-believer, the person who doesn't believe Jesus at his word. But I will tell you what the person who is maturing in Christ will go, Lord, this is a really stinky day. They start off the same way, but they end with this. But I know you're about to do something amazing. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know how it looks like, but you are supernatural and I am not. And that's what crisis does. It brings you to the end of yourself so you can see where Jesus begins. And this is the second sign that Jesus performed uh, after coming from Judea to Galilee. And I just want to encourage you in this time and in this place that maturing takes time. Sometimes we can read the Bible, you know, you know, Pastor David, Pastor Ryan, Pastor Craig, we're all, John chapter one, John chapter two, John chapter three. You're like, maybe I should be a lot further on because we're already in John chapter four. But maturing takes place a little bit at a time, doesn't it? Like my grass, I've been putting a ton of fertilizer on it. And so I can't see it really grow day to day, but by the end of the week, it needs to be mowed. And then you start praying for rain so you don't have to mow it. But I want to let you know, when Joey was born, my little miracle boy, he was a little Michelin man tire boy. He was just this fluffy cloud of a kid, and I would love to wrestle with him, and he would love to wrestle with me. And it was fun, because it was this little soft baby, and I would her with him and spin him on the tile, because here's this like little dough ball of a kid, and it was nothing. But over time, he's grown, has he not? For those of you that know him, he's grown, and, and even on, over time, he's gotten stronger, but not, not in the moment do I notice it, right? And then even over time, he's learned some new moves, I'm going to describe this for you. The other day I was picking up toys off the floor and I don't know if the overhead light just had hit him right, but I was down here like picking up toys and I see a shadow creep over me and I see my shadow and it's eclipsed by another shadow and the other shadow has arms and claws and I go, what in the world? I'm the prey right now and I look up and there's my son crouched, ready. And just like a ninja monkey, he just jumps and goes, gotcha, daddy. And he wrapped his arms around my neck and cranked and brought me to the ground. And I was thinking, you know what? I'm really upset, but I'm also a little impressed. I think I'm about to black out. He's pretty strong. How did he mature from Michelin man to this? How did he go from that little doughboy to this kid with some actual good moves? And I was like, oh, duh. He's been spending time wrestling with me every day. Can't do that to mom. Definitely can do that to dad. And I was like, as before I'm blacking, I go, okay, now it's time for dad to kick into gear. And I, I rip him off and I go, good job, son. But that's a maturing process. As a dad, I'm home and I go, where's my little baby? Where's the little Michelin man? Where is he going? He's matured day by day. And you as a Christian are maturing. And just like the dad who was about to lose his son, he's maturing. Look at the spiritual maturity lessons that are here. That day, the dad learned, I am weak, but God is strong. God is my strength. And that's okay. 
to rest in God. But also the dad learned that day on his travels, think about it, walking, wondering, God, I, I really, I, I don't know if I love your timing, but your timing is good. That's a nine hour walk. I wish I got the news sooner. He learned the patience to let God's word work. The patience to let God's word work. And I will tell you, everything that I'm preaching you today is where I am at right now because I am a maturing Christian just like you. So that day, the layers of lasagna were, the son was saved, the dad was grown, right? And the household was saved. But now, think about this, that dad will have a lesson that will take that son onto when he becomes a father. As for me and my house, we will worship the Lord. Let's go into chapter five. So sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. And now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades or patios. And here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. Now, this is why you come to church. We took, in some of your Bibles, we took a verse out. Does anybody have any verse fours? Does somebody have a missing verse four? Raise your hand if you have a missing verse four. So you have to come to church to get it. We did that on purpose. No, you didn't get a discount Bible. I'm going to read the verse and I'm going to put it on screen. It's just an issue with the translation of Greek. Some people left it out because of the, uh, they believed that some of the story was true and some of the story was legend. So the people that were copying the, the, the scrolls, they were like, well, if it's just legend, why even put it in the Bible? But we're going to do it just for context. So you got that missing verse today. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. And then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. So guess what? Bible crisis averted. We are good, right? We're back on track. Why? Because we're at verse five. Here we go. And one, there had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Once again, a different kind of Jesus, right? It's like, of course he wants to get well. Who goes up to, I don't know if I have this courage, of course I'm not Jesus, to walk up to somebody really sick, hey, you want to get better? And that's how he just comes in. But I want to let you know, and I'm going to give you a little context, God is challenging this man and how he sees his crisis. Now, the father's crisis was a little bit more immediate, right? This guy's crisis lasts 38 years. So you can see there's two different kinds of crisis, and yet God doesn't attack it the same way. Because he's not a man uh, or, or, or a, a leader that goes in the same formula. And that's a huge point because he's going to address this man in this way. I know you have a withered body, but do you have a withered heart? Look at the answer this guy comes. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me get in the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, somebody else goes down ahead of me. Now, is that what Jesus asked? Do you want to get better? Yes or no? Well, you see what the situation is. You see what the problem is. And I want to point out there, in this word, there's a little bit of a comfortability with what this guy is saying. It might not, you ever get a text from somebody and you're like, wait, hold on, let me call them. I don't know what they mean, how they're saying it. And you call them, oh, we're on good terms. Everything's good. There's a little something that's lost in the text here. This man is a little too comfortable with saying, I'll never get better. And it's not that he doesn't believe, it's that he's comfortable in this. If you uh, have a body that's strong, you have to work. Mm, I can't work today, I'm a little hurt. Uh, you're going to have to stop complaining. Well, you've seen how bad my life is. I'm justified in my, in my pain. I'm justified in my suffering. And Jesus is attacking him and going, look, I know you're helpless, but you're not hopeless. 
Because who's standing in front of him? The God of heaven that met him right in his most pressing need. Now, his most pressing need is he needs to get healed. Do we understand that? But is it his most important need? No, it is not. I want to let you know this. Jesus didn't ask him what his problem was. The Savior is asking, do you want a Savior? Look at verse 8. And then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. Now, I want to let you know, this is kind of bold for Jesus once again to lean into this, but he's pushing into this guy where God's will and your will align is where faith connects, right? I believe that God is who he says he is. And when God commands you to get up and walk, it's because you take your effort and meet God where he's already working. See, God wasn't waiting. God was working. God was already working on this guy's heart before he got up. So the, the place of salvation and the place of restoration and the place of rescue, this guy is catching up to Jesus, is he not? And that's what I want you to see here. And it's a little interesting to me too. It says, at once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. And I want to let you know, that's kind of incredible because the full miracle is like this. The other day, um, I, I laid on the floor with the boys and just ate chocolate and I ate cupcakes or whatever dessert we had saved from an event. And I was only on the ground for 30 minutes. And I got up and I could not move my legs. And I'm not comparing myself, but it was a walk, a long walk back to the kitchen to get more chocolate and cupcakes. <laughs> and I just let you know, that's an intense moment, right? You're like, I got some life choices I can make right now. But this man had laid there for 38 years and walked. Why? Because the command of the Lord told him to do so. So he heard God, took a step of faith, and walked. Because it's by the power and authority of God that he realizes that he's able to do what he's going to do. And I want you to know that this is different because, you know, remember the man that was lowered down in the roof? First, he was forgiven, right? And then he was able to walk. Jesus doesn't do it that way. And I want to let you know, there is no 12-step program to what Jesus does. There is no five, you know, steps to a better day with Jesus Christ. There is only Jesus Christ, his words, and his commands. And Jesus is not a man of formula because I believe we would chase formula, we would chase method, but Jesus is once again showing you through the miracle and the power and the authority, there is nothing you can get but me. And when I rest on your heart, and when I bring my power and authority to you, you become the glory of God because you have Jesus. And he has come to you. I, I would think of it this way. There is something magical and miraculous about this. Is, um, you know, my mom was a single mom for a long time. And, and uh, we would go into the kitchen on Friday night because that was movie night, right? We got to rent a movie on, on, on Friday night. And we'd open up the fridge. And mom is a full-time worker, two boys. You know, we're both in sports. She's super busy. We open up the fridge. Oh, mom, there's nothing but like leftover Chinese food, a couple of hot dogs, maybe some cream cheese, and a lettuce leaf. And we're like, oh, tonight's ruined. And she would go, go, get out of here. And 30 minutes later, she would erupt out of the kitchen with many, many plates. We have no idea where this food came from. We don't know how she made it. And we don't even know by what wizardry she came up with the recipes that she came up. I will let you know it's some of the same, the best meals I've ever had will never be able to replicate it because the ingredients were never the same. And that's what Jesus does when he comes into your life. Your ingredients in your life are not the same as mine. But the same five-star chef is showing up and doing some cooking. And I will let you know this. Do not chase the ingredients. Chase the chef. And right now, yeah, you can clap. A lot of food. A lot of foodies in this room. 
the secret ingredients is the power and authority. And that's something my mom had as a chef. That's something that Jesus has that we don't have. And we want to let God move. And that's the experience he's bringing this man. Now, look at this, the continuum of the verse. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. Uh-oh. Watch out, Jewish leaders. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Once again, everything I just described for you, some people are chasing formula, some people are chasing method, and Jesus is like, I'm out here giving commands and lives are getting changed. I don't need your performance. What I need is your heart. And these guys are missing it. The rabbi's interpretation of the law is incorrect. There is a law. Are you supposed to work on the Sabbath? No. But if the Lord tells me to get up and walk, and I haven't walked in 38 years, believe me, I'm doing cartwheels down the street. I might even do a cartwheel into the Pharisees. I just want to let you know. I'm like, look, I don't care what you say, but this is what God just said. But I love to look at this guy's response. He says, but he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. This is this guy's response. I hear what you're saying, Mr. Method, Mr. Formula, but somebody came to me and gave me by their power and their authority the ability with something you could never do. It was the power and authority of heaven. And so look at the, you know, it's kind of also funny to me too. It's a, let, let's put for it in terms, these people are on a Sabbath, right? They're in their version of church, right? And yet this man is getting chastised for listening to the commands of God. It's a very challenging moment for me. It's a very challenging, look at this. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? They're still pressing into formula. And I would just be like, you know what, guys? You're just gonna have to go find him because I can't describe how amazing this Jesus is. But I will tell you this, 38 years of my crisis just melted away. 38 years melted away because the God of heaven had compassion and found me. And this is why Jesus would go on to say to those legalistic people, those people that stick to rules over people, look at Matthew 23, verse 24. You don't have to go there. I'm just gonna read to you. It says, you blind guides. This is Jesus talking to the Pharisees. You guys are blind, straining out a gnat only to swallow a camel. What is that, Campbell? Your self-importance in God's story. Most of my crises in my life were caused by me. I need a savior to save me from me. And you know who that camel is? Me. And Jesus is going to this guy. Look at this, verse 13. The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. And I just want to let you know, Passover in uh, Jerusalem is kind of like Disney at the height of summer. Like everybody's there and there's like a two hour wait for every ride. Like it's that thick and you can't even move, right? And that's the situation. So the guy looks up for Jesus and he slips away through the crowd. It totally makes sense because it's that thick, right? Look at verse 14. But later Jesus found him at the temple and said, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now, I want to let you know, why did Jesus come to him this way? I, I want to reveal what I believe what scholars even think or what you might be even reading. In this time, in this place, this man had always had the maybe like um, he'd been stopped by his disability to sin, but in his head and his heart, could he still desire to sin? I might not be able to go on my way to sin, but I still think about it. I still dream about it. And now he has the physical power to go do something that he shouldn't do. And I picture that the moment that he had that opportunity, like, now that my legs are good, now that my arms are good, now I'm maybe I should go live a little. Maybe I should so catch up. You know, I'm justified. I was down there for 38 years. And then Jesus. Jesus stands in his way and says, I removed your most pressing need, but your most important need is still there. 
And crisis has unearthed it in you. See, in James chapter 1, it's kind of unpacked this way. Desire gives birth to sin. And sin gives birth to death. And so once again, Jesus is saving people from their most pressing need, but he's leading them away from their most important problem and their most important disease, which is sin and death. Once again, the the father's house all got saved, and now another man has been rescued from where? Hell. So some of us can only see the need. Some of us can only go as far as what, Jesus, if you you don't answer this, I don't know what's going to happen. If I don't win the lottery, I don't know what's going to happen to us. Have you just put God in a box? If I don't get healed in this way, what if the disciples said, Lord, if you don't remove the storm, then we won't know what your miraculous power is. And then Jesus walked out on the waves. Do you think they predicted that? So you can see this. It brings us to another point. Miracles reveal God is both the giver and the gift. The giver and the gift. I want to remind you, today's miracles and even maybe even today's presence can be yesterday's gifts. Real quick. And I'm going to explain that because my need for the gift giver remains. I'll put it in these terms for you. I love Jackie with all my heart, and some of the gifts she's given me have been the the most amazing gifts I've ever received in my life. I would never trade any of those gifts for her. In fact, those gifts just point me back to her and make me want to run back to her more. And that includes my boys. Those are two special gifts that she's given me, and those are my pride and joy, and I love them, and I won't let anything happen. They will never replace her. A person, a gift, a thing can never replace the, ultimately, the, the space that Jesus owns of your heart. You have to realize this, that in a world, did you know this? This is crazy to me. We are heading towards 8 billion people on this planet. I want to let you know how old I am. When I was in school, they had a textbook that said 6 billion people in this planet. We're at 7.9 billion people. Now you know how old I am. I'm a 1.9 billion people ago. That's how many people have come. And 7.98 billion, I thought when I was younger, if we had 8 billion people on this planet, there would be no food left and the, and the planet would cave in. And yet think about this. With all those people, Jesus finds the time to find you. Jesus finds the time to slip through the crowd and give you forgiveness. Find you in your most pressing need and, and be the, not only provide for it, but be the solution. He has time for you. He has time to bless you, which means he knows exactly what you need. And so the miracle for me is that it's deeper than the answering of the need is that God is closer to me than I previously realized. God is more interested in my life than I previously realized. God is here and he cares. Um, But God is not satisfied to stop with me. God is not satisfied to stop with what he has found and, and even my realization. God is moving me forward. Do you understand that there were layers to this lasagna? You thought we were going to get away from it. You guys are all going to head to an Italian restaurant for, for lunch after this. There's another layer to this. God is moving me into a place of royalty. I want to remind you of another great theology. It's the theology of the movie or the book Aladdin. You didn't think we were going to talk about just about food. We're going to talk about Disney too. So today I want you to realize that when Aladdin, who is a street rat and a beggar, if you've never seen the story, you should, it's great. But when he was a street rat and a beggar, he comes across the princess Jasmine. And the only thing that's preventing for them to be together is he's not a, a prince. So he gets a genie. He finds a genie in a lamp and he rubs the lamp and now comes a genie and gives him three wishes. And what does he do? He goes, I need you to make me a prince. And boom, the genie said, Alakazam, you are a prince. Well, at least you look like a prince. 
See, the miracle could be just a superficial thing that answers the outside, but you have a greater need that is in the inside. And the genie would go on to say, I made you look like a prince on the outside, but I didn't change anything on the inside. Because I can't, really, is what the genie's saying. Prince Ali got you to the door, but Aladdin has to open it. I will let you know, answered prayer will bring you to right to the heart of Jesus, but only you can walk through. You see, the man that was paralyzed, the man that was an invalid for 38 years, he could have received the miracle and rejected the Jesus. A lot of people today may be in church, maybe you believe that there is a Jesus, but you don't believe him. You don't believe that you need change. You don't believe that you need spiritual maturity, that you need spiritual growth. But I want to show you what Jesus sees when he looks down at the layers of what he could do in your heart. Look at 1 Peter 2.9. Look at the screen. He said, but you are a chosen people. That means he hand-selected you. A royal priesthood. What does that even look like? You as a royal priest of heaven. Think about that. What do you even wear as a royal priest? That's got to be amazing by itself, Right? A holy nation. Let me ask you this. This is next part. Change how you pray. God's special possession. You know what? I have a health concern, but guess what? I'm God's special possession. Lord, as your special possession, will you do a special thing? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Rachel read a Bible verse in the beginning from Psalm 62. All power and authority comes from God and all my strength rests in him. I want to let you know that's a praise from David in a time of need. And that's what he's saying. You, you don't even understand where I'm going to take you. I'm going to take you into a place where you become a prince or princess of heaven and you reign with me forevermore. The miracle is just an invitation. And that's why you have to look at this invitation as the next slide. The miracle lesson learned is don't stop at the, at the miracle. You have a supernatural need for a new life. That's what crisis does. It brings to you this idea, do you want a genie or do you want a God? Do you want your prayers answered or do you want to reign in heaven forevermore? See, your, press, your pressing need, it looks like this. Yeah, my quality of life is not that great. My most important need is the quality of my heart is not that great. And if it, I want you to think on this. The words of God, they don't come from a great teacher. They don't come from a great philosopher. They're the very words of the creator of you. And every word is a treasure from heaven. Get up, walk, Christ commands you, but walk in his power. That man would never have walked if God didn't want him to. So when he rose up, he, he was raised to life. God is speaking life into his body by his power. Look at verse 15. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. And I want to show you a warning because remember, if the words of heaven are a treasure, so are the warnings. Verse 16, these are for the people who are not spiritually mature enough to see what God's doing. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. We're about to enter into Easter. Here it begins. Verse 17, in his defense, as if God even needs to do that, Jesus says, my father is always at, at his work to this very day, and I too am working. As you are hearing these verses, as you are hearing your Jesus, as you're hearing God's will for your life, he's working on you. And before you got here, he was working on you. And when you slid into crisis, he was working on you. And when he brought you out of crisis, he's working on you. Where is he working on you? Look at this next point. Spiritual maturity lesson. So the first we learn with the Father, I am weak, but God is strong. Second, we have to learn to have the patience to let God's word work. The third is I need to learn to walk in the power of Christ. Not my power. 
I'm gonna let you know something. There's a very explosive place where God's will and your will synchronize and you follow the commands of God and you watch his power reign in you. And you speak to the darkness, I am light. And you speak to death, I am life. Why? Because the God of life is in you. He has chosen you and you are his special possession. I always like to do this. Sickness, you don't have to deal with me. You have to deal with God. Financial situation, you got to deal with God. Whatever my crisis is, it's that. So the same power that lifted, uh, lifted me up from crisis will be the same power that I continue on. And I will let you know, as future princes and princesses of heaven, isn't the hardest thing for us to do is submit to the, the kingship of the king. I want you to look at this last slide. For those of you that are wrestling today, and that's okay. Wrestling with God is a good place. Jacob wrestled. And I will let you know all the spiritual maturity slides that we put up, he, he went through. All the people in the Bible have wrestled with God at some level, at some place, and God wrestled in one, amen? But look what this says. It says, but seek ye first the kingdom, or seek first his kingdom. I slipped into King James. You can tell I read that on a pillow or a cup. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. God is describing to you your situation through this verse. You have a pressing need. Those are all those things. Your most important need is for you to step into the royal calling that is in your life is to be a son or daughter of Christ. To be the one that he's called, heard him, and now is walking out in faith. And where are you walking? From here to eternity. See, what God is building inside of us is an appetite and a stamina for the word of God. Because guess what? When we get to heaven, it's going to be him and us forever. Amen. And right now, God is giving you a glimpse of that as you learn to walk and listen to him. So I'm just going to do this as we enter in. We're going to do worship again in a second, but I want to put a prayer in your heart. If you're in a crisis right now, learn to look through that crisis and see where the layers of God are. See where he's taking you. You might think, hey, it only stops with me, but maybe he's about to change the life of your whole house. Maybe your job. Maybe your friends. Maybe your neighborhood. Because God can see way further than we can. But if we trust the heart of our God, then we'll follow him. And you know what? We'll get the kingdom of God and everything else. So with that, let's go ahead and bow our heads and close our eyes. And let's take a moment and say, Lord, you are the Lord over our prayer requests. You're the Lord over our needs and our wants and our desires. You're the Lord over our sickness and our hurts our emotions, our anxiety, our problems, our circumstances, our crises. If you're a person that maybe has doubted God today or you need to see that God and see his heart, I'm gonna invite you to stand up today and we're gonna pray for you. If you're a person that needs a move in your heart towards the miracles of God, please stand up today. If you're a person that needs that God, maybe just from the word go, you don't know God but you'd like to know God, please stand. And we're gonna unite with you today in prayer. Thank you for standing. Thank you, thank you. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you've met us in our crisis. We thank you that we're not just a number. We thank you that our life isn't just a tragedy. It's gonna be a testimony of your goodness and your greatness when you meet us and lift us up and raise us up in heavenly places because you said so, not because I said so. 
Lord, today we are going to seek you first before we seek the answer to our problem because you are the answer. Because you are everything. You are everything good in our life and you are bringing life to us right now. You are speaking life to people's hearts right now. Whether the the prayer request is spoken or unspoken, you are speaking life. You are moving hearts away from self-reliance to God-reliance. You're moving people out of fear into faith. You're moving people out of worry and concern into praise and worship because they know their God's about to do something amazing because you know the heart of God. And today I just pray right now that as we look and as we trust between miracles, we are gonna be the type of people that worship our God for how good he is. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you.